0: Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Mike and Matthew back together again on the podcast for the first time since September. Mike, good to hear your voice again.
1: And yours, Matthew. And uh, listeners, please know that nothing has taken place in our friendship. We're very good friends still. It's just gotten a little busy with guest episodes.
0: And we enjoy the guest episodes. We've got more of those coming as well. But today, just in case you are thinking of getting some books for Christmas and who wouldn't be... We are bringing you our fourth installment of Cloak Books and Parchments, where we give you some book reviews. So we're going to suggest some books for purchase, give you a little summary of them, which we think you will find interesting, and give you some ideas of purchasing gifts for yourself or for others. Mike, would you like to share the first one with us?
1: Yeah, we're going to be sharing books that you can buy for others, but uh, sometime, Matthew, I think we should do an episode where we're recommending books that people should buy for us, you know, ones we haven't read yet.
0: I'd be happy to give you some ideas.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, first up on my list is a book called Digital Liturgies, Rediscovering Christian Wisdom in an Online Age. It's written by Samuel James, published by Crossway, and uh, is about 191 pages. If there was one book I could put into the hands of every Christian family and every local church elder and every Bible teacher, this would likely be it, at least from 2023. And and why is that? Well, obviously the internet has stopped just being a little corner of our lives and instead it's become the total environment in which we live our lives. And so we talk about our phones and apps distracting us, but we're actually being too gentle with that word. Um, The truth is they're doing a whole lot more. They're actually shaping us, reshaping us, they're changing us. Mm -hmm. And this is where Samuel James is so helpful. You know, we're used to thinking of the social internet as something that distracts us, and and thinking about the dangers of the content of the web, you know, uh, avoid, for instance, pornographic content. But James shows that porn isn't something that the web has, I mean it does, but it isn't just something that the web has. Pornographic is something that the web is. It is pornographic in its essence, to quote him on page eight. so suppose we're able to successfully avoid all the explicit content on the web. Well, that would be excellent. That'd be super good. But James says it is entirely possible to do that while, and here I quote him, while simultaneously being shaped by it in a profoundly sub-Christian way. So the web is pornographic, he's saying. And uh, that might raise the question, well, how and what sense? Well, here that, that, I'll just give one example from the book. Um, in a previous day, only the Roman Emperor could get everything he wanted, you know, Caligula. He could uh, command everyone to do whatever he wanted, including any uh, female to do what he wanted, and, and he could get all his wants and fantasies and wishes fulfilled. Well, the thing about the internet is it turns us all into Caligula. We can all um, uh, think about what it is we're wanting, desiring fantasizing about, and Ask the web to deliver that to us and, and we can experience it. Well, say um, say that we resist the inner urge to, to ask for some of the things that a Roman emperor might have asked. And and we only go to the internet to, to give us clean things and, and non-pornographic things and so on. But, but what's happening, says Samuel James, is that even as we're managing to avoid all the bad stuff, it's possible that my use of the internet is still shaping me more and more into a person like the Emperor Caligula than the person of Christ because, because I'm, I'm getting all my, my wishes you know, granted. Um, the, the universe, I'm thinking of it all in terms of, of me and, and having what I want uh, delivered to me. And, um, and so not just the content of the web, but the web itself shapes us into a certain kind of person.
0: And Mike, is what you're saying unique to the Internet or do other forms of technology shape and change us as well? Is just just an Internet problem?
1: Well, yeah, Samuel James shows us that uh, a lot of technologies change us. I mean, even the invention of the car changes the way we see ourselves and, and what human life should be like. And uh, we, we begin to be people who, who don't see ourselves as restrained so much by physical space, but we're able to kind of go wherever we want and do what we want and so on. And, and in a similar way, the web is designed to remove us from physical reality, uh, just like in a sense, the car enabled us to transcend some of our physical limitations. But, but the web is unique too. Um, for example, the television has changed us big time, but the web is far more powerful to shape us because it is an environment in which we live. We live our lives and it It becomes our habitat. And uh, James says that the web no longer is something that we can opt in, we're we're in the web by default. Instead, we have to make conscious choices to opt out. And uh, as a result, our minds become internet shaped. Anyways, this is just a taste. The book is not telling us to ditch our devices. It's calling us to just be aware of how the internet is designed and and what it is at its heart and what it's doing to us. And the book is full of really profound biblical insight on how to live wisely in an internet age. And to be clear, in case I've, you know, misled in this little review, this is not a book about pornography or how we get free from it. There is helpful counsel on that subject, but, but the vast majority of this book is not talking about that. It is about so much more than just the content of the web. It's about what the web is, and how it's shaping us at very deep levels.
0: All right, sounds helpful. Some good cautionary warnings there. Mike, just give us the, the title and author and publisher again, if you can.
1: Yeah, Digital Liturgies, Rediscovering Christian Wisdom in an Online Age by Samuel James, published by Crossway.
0: My first book is by Stephen Grant, who we had on the podcast for episode 109, Restoring a Fallen Friend, and his book is called Of No Reputation, Living an Ordinary Life. It's published by John Ritchie, a small book of about 120 pages, but a really enjoyable, practical, helpful, honest read. The theme of the book is built around the words of 1 Thessalonians 4.11, that you aspire to lead a quiet life. And accepting that most of us are not going to be missionaries or nuclear scientists or be doing extraordinary things that make us well-known by Christians all over the world, the book makes the point that that's okay. Living what may seem to be a very ordinary Christian life can still be beautiful to God. It is Satan that tempts us to be dissatisfied with our ordinary Christian lives, so learning contentment in the circumstances God has placed us and its close relation humility Those are very meaningful steps in Christian maturity. Stephen says, While my life may be ordinary, that does not mean that it is mundane. And he cautions us to not forget that the biggest work for God in which we will ever be involved will take place in our own hearts. And I think that's a good reminder. The writing comes across very honest, and I think people who are feeling life is a little humdrum spiritually, uh, people that may feel like they're in a bit of a rut will find the book refreshing. I think it could be a real help, particularly to people in their late 20s or in their 30s and 40s, but younger ones will definitely enjoy it too. I think it will give you some very helpful perspectives. His chapters on prayer and reading the Bible are especially good, very honest, very relevant and real. And this book gives us the fruit of Stephen's own personal journey with God, and he teaches us that in order to please God, we need to do small things regularly and not big things occasionally. It's, it just speaks to our everyday lives, and it's good, and I recommend it. So that's Of No Reputation, Living an Ordinary Life by Stephen Grant, published by John Ritchie.
1: That sounds great, Matthew. Um, some similarities maybe to uh, the book called, I think it's called Ordinary by Michael Horton?
0: I do have that book, but I haven't yeah. read it yet. I suspect so. I think they actually came out the same year, so I don't think there was any plagiarizing or copying of the concept from either one of them. Uh, maybe it was just them each speaking to a cultural moment
1: well that sounds super helpful i might have to add that to my wish list as well hint hint everyone listening me listening to this in my family um let me go on to my second recommendation it's a book by ed welch called when people are big and god is small overcoming peer pressure codependency and the fear of man and that's uh published by P&R. It's in its second edition now, which was published in 2023. Well, this book hit me right between the eyes and knocked me down. (laughs) Welch uh, talks about how what we fear controls us. And number one fear for lots of us is our fear of what people think of us, which means that we're actually being controlled by the approval of others, and we are enslaved to people. And as a result of that, we're, we're actually not free to love them. Instead, we're craving their approval, So instead of serving them, we're needing them to serve us. And uh, Welch takes the first part of the book to show us how and why we fear other people. Then the second part uh, is all about how to overcome our fear of others. And the crucial piece here is that we learn to fear God more. Makes sense, right? The whole whole problem is that we live our lives Mm -hmm. as if people are big and God is small. And only the fear of the Lord can begin to reverse that so that God... Regains his huge place in our lives and people lose their outsized influence on us
0: fight fear with fear
1: Yeah, yeah fight fear with fear. That's good. Yeah And uh, and when that starts to happen the result is that we are free to simply love others our enemies our neighbors and Of course our brothers and sisters in the church And I think the thing I appreciate most about this book is that at a couple crucial places Welch is utterly vulnerable about himself And the thing he reveals about himself maps onto my own life. And maybe that's why I just found it particularly encouraging to me. He tells a story where he was teaching a group and the message fell flat and he kind of spiraled down afterwards. And he realized the problem. He was controlled by the approval of man. He wasn't loving the people God had given him to teach. He was needing those people. He was living as if those people existed to serve him and love him and bless him and not the other way around. And so I just found that so refreshing that Welch was willing to be open about his weakness. And by the end of the book, we discover in in the second edition, 2023, he's he's still very much a work in progress. And that too gives me hope, because I'm a work in progress as well. So that's When People Are Big and God Is Small, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man by Ed Welch.
0: Sounds good. My next one is what I would call a stocking stuffer. It is that small, but I'd like you to be careful about putting it in a stocking because I don't want you to bend it. But it's a small book. It's Enjoy Your Prayer Life by Michael Reeves by Ten Publishing. It's only about 40 pages long. So a very short, enjoyable, and helpful read on the subject of prayer. Some books on the subject of prayer can be a bit intimidating because of their size. So this is extremely short. So on the one hand, don't expect a huge theology of prayer But it is honestly helpful. It challenges us a little on our prayerlessness. But I think the big blessing for me was its emphasis on prayer as enjoying talking with our Father throughout the day. Don't just view prayer as an activity you must do, but think about the person who wants you to talk with him. Don't look at prayer as a quota you must achieve, but a privilege you get to enjoy. The book is devotional, it's practical, and it's short and I highly recommend it. That's Michael Reeves' book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life by TEN Publishing.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I've enjoyed that one too. Um, my next one is probably, yeah, probably the, the, the best book, the, my, my number one book that I've read in 2023. It's called The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theory by Abigail Favali. And uh, the publisher is Ignatius. It's 248 pages long. This book blew me away. Uh, I found every page to contain deep insight into uh, some of the problems that swirl around us in our culture today regarding sex and gender. Uh, the author briefly tells her story how she went from being an evangelical complementarian to an evangelical feminist to a revisionist feminist and, uh, and then uh, she had a, a conversion experience and became what she now calls a heretical feminist. That is she is totally out of step with the the new reigning orthodoxy um, of what's taught in today's university faculties and so on. And, and so what we have is an author who knows the history of feminism inside and out and is really able to explain how we got to where we are in our culture. She's very familiar with the arguments and the teachings behind the LGBTQIA++ revolution and so on, um, but she also brings a very rich biblical and theological background to it. And the result is a book that's just jammed full of helpful insight. Uh, I do give this caution. Um, This is not a blanket endorsement I'm giving. This book won't be for every listener. Uh, On the one hand, that's simply because of the subject matter that's being dealt with. Uh, It's dealing with uh, things that are are sensitive, of course, in in our culture today.
0: Yes, listeners, that is Mike's dog barking in the background.
1: (laughs) Yes. Practicality podcast hosted by Matthew Kane, Mike Knox, and Maisie. Um, and on the other hand, uh, Favoli is Catholic, and so there are quite a few appreciative quotes of you know various popes and and some Catholic teachings that will jar you as you as you read this book. Occasionally, she does take a stance that I would question. But if you are a mature Christian, a careful thinker, an experienced reader, and you want some really helpful Uh, insight into thinking through issues about transgenderism and intersectionality, Uh, I doubt you could do better than to read this book. You will learn the history of feminism, Uh, your eyes might be open regarding the role the pill has played in in getting us to where we're we're at and and maybe um, put you in a more informed place to make decisions about the use of the pill today. Uh, You'll discover how gender came to eclipse sex and how sex became separated from biological reality. And speaking of biological reality and the fact that we're doing these book reviews in light of the uh, approach of the Christmas season, let me just drop the fact that it was the incarnation of our Lord that reeled Favali back towards the Christian faith. So that's The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theory by Abigail Favali.
0: That's great. I did hear a very interesting interview she gave concerning that book with uh, Kevin DeYoung on his podcast, so that sounds excellent. All right, here's my most profound book that I am recommending today on the podcast. It is called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ by Andrew Naselli and J.D. Crowley, published by Crossway. About 150 pages. J.D. Crowley has been doing missionary work among indigenous minorities of Cambodia since 1994. So having that experience of applying this teaching across cultures is very helpful and very relevant in the multicultural environments that a lot of our listeners are in. It's an excellent book. I heartily recommend it. The objective of the book is to get you thinking again about conscience and to show from Scripture what God did and did not intend your conscience to accomplish, how to educate and care for your conscience and how all of this can strengthen local church unity and help us in evangelism as well. There is plenty of scripture references throughout the book. They reference and argue from the scriptures admirably. The book is divided into three sections. In the first section, the authors describe what the conscience is. Conscience is a gift from God and provides us with that sense of accountability to God, even if at times people may suppress that intuition. So conscience is not an outside voice, it is an inward capacity we possess to critique ourselves, they say. It is your consciousness, your understanding of what you believe to be right and wrong. And here are two great principles of conscience from that opening section of the book. God is the only Lord of your conscience, and you should always obey your conscience. But here are two other important things to bear in mind from that first section, Number one, it is unlikely that anyone's conscience perfectly aligns with someone else's, so that's why there's going to be some tension at times. Additionally, no one's conscience, apart from the Lord Jesus, perfectly matches God's will. So the authors add this little addendum to that last statement. Let this truth sink deep into your heart. Second section is how to deal with your own conscience. The gospel is brought into the discussion very helpfully here. For example, they say, We know of no other religion that freely offers such comprehensive and eternal cleansing at the deepest level of conscience. And they reference the Lord Jesus speaking forgiveness to people, and of course the words of Hebrews 9, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And they say that when we share the gospel with non-Christians, we should stress the incredible promise of a clean conscience that's going to appeal to people. There are two chapters in this section, what to do when your conscience condemns you, and then a lengthy chapter on how to calibrate your conscience. Let me quote them again. We should do what our conscience says until we are convinced from Scripture that the conscience needs adjusting. Uh, The scene with Peter being told to eat what he previously thought was unclean, and that being a lesson to him to go to the Gentiles, that's an example of Peter's conscience being calibrated. Uh, As you come to understand God's will more, You must do the hard work of continually adding rules to your conscience that God's Word says should be there, and continually weeding out rules from your conscience that should not be there. This will take your entire life, but you have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to help you. The last section is the largest, how to relate to other people when your consciences disagree, and of course is what you all want to know too. And they give 12 excellent principles and I don't think it's fair to give them to you. You should go read the book. I'm going to give you three valuable excerpts from this portion though. Number one, the concern is not merely that your freedom may irritate, annoy, or offend your weaker brother or sister. If a brother or sister simply doesn't like your freedoms, that is their problem. But if your practice of freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. Secondly, You need God's wisdom to discern the difference between, number one, weak and wavering believers for whom you must flex, and number two, controlling Christians who want to force their scruples on everyone else. Thirdly, Paul's teaching of Christian maturity and love will ultimately mean a strong conscience, but a freedom to be flexible on disputable matters in order to edify other believers and advance the gospel, and this loving approach magnifies the gospel the book is enlightening it's encouraging and it's definitely challenging too being a mature christian is not easy but for the unity of the church and for the sake of the spread of the gospel we should do the hard work of pursuing it by the grace of the gospel so this is conscience what it is how to train it and loving those who differ by andrew Niselli and jd crowley published by crossway mike you got one more for us
1: uh, Matthew, just a quick question though: Have you read the children's book uh, that Andy Nicelli did um, for for children about their conscience?
0: I have not, but I'm guessing you have.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. It's called "That Little Voice in Your Head: Learning About Your Conscience," and uh, it really, yeah, really distills down. I think some of what they <clears throat> put in the book you're referring to, but but they did it for uh, you know the level of a child, and it's extremely helpful. And um, as you say. Um, Learning to calibrate our conscience is, is the work of a lifetime. And so this book will help children get off to a good start on that journey.
0: Any particular age group you would say that that's targeting?
1: Oh, boy, um, just closing my eyes and off my memory here, I would say um, it would be helpful for, say, a 5 to 10-year range. Right. I mean, I'm thinking 10-year-olds are going to start thinking it's a, it's a bit beneath them. But, um, but still, I mean, to be honest, I read it probably when I was 39 and I found it helpful. <laughs> so, so, um, I think it can help a lot of people, including you're Haunting such Daddy, a, as they read you're it. such a kid at heart though, Mike. I am. That's true. Yeah. And speaking of that, um, I've heard from at least a couple of people that they really appreciate the odd non-Christian book recommendations that we've given in the past and the odd fiction recommendation. And does so it do have, I have to, a, does it
0: have to be odd fiction or can it just be like regular fiction?
1: It can be regular fiction, too, but odd is definitely a genre of its own. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, I have a a perfect book, I think, to recommend. Actually, a series of books. Helen and I have fallen in love with a new detective, and her name is Maisie Dobbs, spelt with an S. And that is the name of the first book in this series of detective stories by Jacqueline Winspear, uh, published by Soho Press. So what's to love about Maisie? Well, first of all, it's the name of our puppy. Second of all, she lives in England, where every detective of proper murder mysteries should live. And she is a very human detective. That is, she doesn't just care about solving the crime. She really cares about the people involved, and yes, even the perpetrator. She's not interested in just investigating if marital unfaithfulness has taken place, but she insists to her clients that if she's going to take on the case, she's going to also work to help make the marriage better in the first place. She's human in another sense too uh, in that the author has created a very three-dimensional character and we're always learning more and more about how her working-class background and, and years as a nurse in the Great War have made her the person she is today. She's a very intuitive sleuth, uh, learning as much from her ability to empathize with people and put herself in someone's shoes as she does from the objective evidence left at the crime scene and uh, and these Maisie Dobbs books aren't just entertaining fiction they're also very informative in the third book for example which is called Birds of a Feather I learned a lot about how young men were pressured to go into the war and how this could have some very dark long-term effects on them and others so if you're looking for a promising new series to start I think there's about 16 of them so far Try the Maisie Dobbs series. Helen and I are about three books in, um, but as far as I know, uh, this this seems to be a, a good series to, to get into, and I'm not aware of anything too problematic yet.
0: Thank you. My final book is a missionary story that we have read aloud with our children. They've been about 10 years old as we've read it to them. Young people a few years older would be fine to read it on their own, or adults too. It's not a kid's book by any means. I just mentioned is one that we have read to our children. Esther and I both really enjoyed ourselves, and I've recommended it to other friends. It is In Search of the Source, A First Encounter with God's Word, by Neil Anderson with Hyatt Moore, published by Wycliffe, 205 pages. Neil and Carol Anderson left the U.S. in 1972 with Wycliffe Bible Translators and went to Papua New Guinea and were assigned to work with the falopa speaking people. They continued with that work as well as having assignments in administrative areas until 2005 when the Fallopa New Testament was completed. I found the book instructive in three areas. The complexities involved in translating and explaining the scriptures to people in a completely different culture. The power of the Spirit of God to give wisdom and help in serving the Lord. And thirdly, the life-changing power of God's Word. Uh, There are some great stories in here, some humorous ones, some slightly disturbing ones. Uh, It's encouraging, though, and we should be so appreciative of people like Neil and Carol and many others down through the ages who have done the difficult but immensely valuable work of translating the Bible into people's own languages. In Search of the Source, A First Encounter with God's Word by Neil Anderson, published by Wycliffe. And one more note in regards to books we should announce. We will be doing a reading challenge again in 2024, Lord willing, for I Love to Read month, which is February. We are going to have a very cool new prize available that we'll be announcing in a few weeks. But what we can announce now is the book that we'll be reading together in February, and that is John Stott's Why I Am a Christian. So there is another book you may wish to purchase or put on your wish list for others to buy for you. So you'll have it on hand to read through with us in February. Why I Am a Christian by John Stott, published by IVP Books. We're going to have uh, links for all of these books and the publisher information about them in the show notes this time in response to feedback from our helpful listeners. Thanks for suggesting that. So that's going to be in the show notes of the podcast. And if you buy some of these books, let us know what you think of them. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, and send us a note if there's some book that you've really enjoyed and you think we would enjoy it too. Um, We've got an email address, info at practicologypodcast.com, and uh, the, the podcast also shows up on twitter instagram facebook and so feel free to interact with the the content that allison flint posts on those platforms on our behalf and we would love to to hear what you're reading too in the meantime thanks for being interested in what we've enjoyed reading
0: in fact mike would prefer instead of you just sending him an email with the suggestion he'd rather you just send in the book as he mentioned earlier
1: yes um, mailing addresses can be provided
0: (laughs) all right (laughs) thank you everyone for tuning in may the lord bless you all